Well, hello there, listeners. Welcome to this week's episode of the Better Than Fine podcast. I'm your host, Arlene Marshall, and let me kick off today's episode with some data, because you know I love me some data. Well, according to the CDC, nearly 60% of Americans use some kinds of supplements. I should say 60% of American adults. And depending on whose other research and data we use, because of course we can't only have one source, right? We want to look around and see what else is out there. There are some private research firms out there claiming that it's as high as 77, 78% of American adults using supplements regularly. Now, there's also an estimated 60,000 supplement products out there on the market. Yeah, you heard that right. Individual products out there, excuse me, I said 60, it's 80,000 because I can read my own notes. Now, some studies have also shown that this largely unregulated industry, what's on the label isn't always what's on the bottle. So in October of uh, 2018, the U.S. Government Accountability Office released a study showing not only were sub-supplements not what they said they were on the outside of the package, but they actually had drugs that you typically need a prescription for. So people thinking they were taking supplements were actually taking regulated medication. And on some level, that does kind of make sense because the supplement industry isn't only unregulated, it's some big bucks. So according to Zipia.com, the global dietary supplement market is worth a whopping $165.7 billion as of 2022. And retailers out there are making an average profit margin of about 38%. And again, it depends what source we look at. But if you're not a businessy-minded person, let me just point out to you, a 38% profit margin is really, really high. So people are making a lot of money off pushing supplements. Now, the conventional wisdom out there is a lot of buyer beware talk, right? We're, we're told to be aware that this is out there, but that doesn't really leave us with a lot of clear and tangible actionables. So hopefully today's guest will be able to sign some light for us. Brandon Welch is a pharmacist as well as an NASM certified wellness coach, but wait, that's not all. He's the clinical wellness coordinator for Baptist Health South Florida, and he specializes in sports medicine and orthopedics. He's also the founder of Pharmacy Athlete and the editor-in-chief for Sports Pharmacy Magazine. He's worked with everybody from normal people on the street like you and me to elite professional athletes, and he's going to help us find our way through some of this supplements tangle. Uh, so Brandon, welcome to Better Than Fine. Hey, Darlene. Thanks for having me. Excited to be on the show and ready to hopefully drop some jewels out there for our audience and listeners. Oh, I don't have to be hopeful because I got faith in you. Um, and I think there's a lot of rich information here to unpack and I want to get right into it. So thank you for being with us. And I want to start with this marketing push. You know, I've heard from people who've lived in other countries, my own foreign travels, the United States, we market supplements on television, on social media, you know, as a pharmacist, where do you see the value in supplementation? Where do you think we should be wary? And where does the marketing really getting it wrong for us? Yeah. And so you, you hit the nail on the head. This is a billion dollar industry. And unfortunately, you know, these supplements aren't really the best regulated where I see the value as a pharmacist is in, you know, patients or, or some of the customers that may be coming to, you know, a retail pharmacy or even a, a, a dietary supplement store. And I always like to say when it comes to dietary supplements, 
they're meant to supplement key nutrients that we may not be getting inside of our diet. And so some of our patients are customers out there who may be on very selective diets. So for example, like vegans, vegetarians, I'd even say, um, you know, some of our elite athletes who are exerting a lot of these nutrients for a lot of their performance and training. Um, these are kind of the populations I would say uh, would be a good test case for people to probably um, use supplementation. And then also to kind of take things a step further when it comes to um, some ways to kind of be very weary. And so one of the things that I found is that there's a lot of supplements marketed um, with these ingredients that have these high percent daily values. And so, for example, if you look at the back of a supplement, you'll have a percentage of daily value, which is pretty much, you know, an estimate of the amount of nutrients that you should get in a single day. And sometimes they'll be as high as like a thousand or 2000%. And this is where you have to be careful, especially when it comes to like your fat soluble vitamins, which are vitamins that are actually stored inside of your cells. And I'll use vitamin A, for example, right? Too much vitamin A can lead to liver toxicity. You can have, um, you know, decreased bone metabolism. It can cause you to feel nauseous. Um, even too much iron, for example, can cause liver toxicity. So it's very important to make sure that you're aware of, you know, some of the nutrients that are going inside of your body. Also to kind of take things uh, a step further, I always tell posh, I always tell people to, to caution when they see proprietary blends is because sometimes mm. proprietary blends, um, some of the key or active ingredients are kind of watered down. So you're really not getting the clinically effective the clinically effective dose. And then oftentimes too, you don't know if some of those key nutrients may be interacting with each other to decrease its, to, to decrease its absorption or which can potentially cause toxicity. I always like to use the example of ammonium and bleach. These are great cleansers, right? But <laughs> used together, they can cause, you know, chlorine gas, which is very lethal mm. or toxic for the body, right? And so you have to be very careful when it comes to proprietary blends. Make sure you try to talk to a consultant, a specialist, or some type of healthcare professional um, when you see these type of indicators on the back of a nutrition label. Okay, so I want to pull out a few gems that you've already given us. Um, I think the first thing that you dropped in there that I want to highlight is that there are certain populations that already know that supplementation is a good idea, right? You said vegetarians, vegans, you mentioned elite athletes. The other thing that occurred to me was the number of clients I've had who had some kind of surgery that then they needed to supplement things like digestive enzymes or vitamins because they had a known medical issue, right? Or like how many people out there come back from their blood work, low vitamin D because we spend so much time inside, right? So, so you're yeah. saying there's a case where you know that you're in a population that's appropriate and you're going to be told that by your healthcare provider, right? Or this is like a choice that you're making someone like someone being vegan. Um, yeah, please chime in. Yeah, no, I think you made, you brought up a good point, right? And this is what I always encourage. It's important that when, you know, you go for your annual physicals, you get your blood work done, right? And those labs come back. This allows us to quantitatively assess if these vitamins or supplements are actually a need or if they're working inside of the body the way that they're supposed to. So you just brought up vitamin D, for example. 
right? And so there's cases where, you know, we'll have patients that have low uh, calcium levels, low magnesium, who may be patients who may also be anemic. And so these mm -hmm. could be essentially treating, you know, medical conditions with supplementation. And, you know, as I mentioned earlier, uh, with, you know, vegan and vegetarians who may not be getting the full absorption of iron is because the foods they consume don't have a high concentration of heme iron. This would be a, the perfect population to, uh, you know, take advantage of supplementation to get those iron levels within um, therapeutic limits. Yeah. And then the flip side of that coin that you already highlighted was for those of us who we go, we get our blood work done. And, and also, I think I want to highlight something that you just said. It's like, if your physician isn't just running it, request it. You're allowed to request that they do your blood levels. Um, and then if you come back with a panel that things are normal, right, you don't necessarily have to buy into the marketing because to your point, um, you might be above limits if you start supplementing, right, the, the recommended daily values. And I'm reminded, as you shared the story about the proprietary blends, you know, I had a client who had a, you know, she, she was already pushing 40. So she'd had quite a few trainers and coaches and, um, you know, osteopaths and chiropractors before me. And she'd been taking all the different supplement blends that each one of them recommended. And she was very, she was unwell. And we kept trying these different lifestyle interventions. Things weren't really working. And finally, she's like, well, let's just look at all the supplements I'm taking. And I'd asked her during intake, of course, like, what are you taking? Um, and she hadn't mentioned most of them. So <laughs> we sat down one day and did a full analysis. And she was taking six diuretics oof. across her supplements. Exactly. Oof, big oof. So for the, for the listener, yeah. um, a diuretic is something that causes you to drop water. And so this client was chronically dehydrated. But through her supplements, which some of them were like slimming supplements, um, <laughs> they were causing her dehydration. So I just want to highlight those points. You've already dropped these gems for us. And I think you're speaking to this, but I really want to drive the nail home here. So how do we know what supplements we actually need? So, yeah, great question. And so there is dietary supplement um, independent agencies. And some of these common agencies, they allow manufacturers to put their seal on the bottle, which kind of indicates, um, you know, they're holding their products to good manufacturing practices, meaning that, you know, the, the ingredients inside of the supplement are what they say they are. You know, the ingredients are pure, it's free of contaminants. And some of these, um, some of these agencies include USP, which is the United States Pharmacopeia. So looking for that seal on a supplement bottle, NSF International, which is another gold standard seal that indicates that the supplement is of high quality. And this is what a lot of uh, sports teams use as a good indicator or a benchmark to make sure that, that the supplement is free of any type of banned substances. And then also Consumer Labs is another great, um, is a, is another great independent agency, which is a seal that should be placed on side of the bottle to indicate that it's, you know, the manufacturer is holding itself to um, high quality standards. If you don't see that, and this is very important for our audience to know, you can always reach out to the manufacturer and request what's called a certificate of analysis, which breaks down, you know, all the different batches to let you know, um, you know, whatever the ingredients are on the back of the supplement are what they say they are. The composition is, is where it needs to be, the purity, the quality. And so those are some good indicators to know 
um, if the supplements are holding themselves to good manufacturing, good manufacturing practices. Awesome. Yeah, that's that's such useful information, not just for our clients, but also the uh, listeners who are coaches and trainers to be empowered with that information. Um, You're listening to the Better Than Fine podcast. I'm your host, Arlene Marshall. My guest is Brandon Walsh, and he's a wellness pharmacist. We are talking about effective supplementation. How do you know what to supplement? How do you know that what you're getting is legit? And what should we all be looking out for? So Brandon, do you mind repeating those third-party institutions again, please? Because essentially what you're saying is don't just trust the name on the label because they happen to be in the store you're standing in, that legit companies are going out of their way to get a third-party neutral to say, yes, this is who they say they are. So what were those things that we should be looking out for again? So USP, um, NSF, and then also uh, Consumer Labs. So those are your, you know, your three top um, gold standard seals that you should look for on uh, any type of supplement or nutrient um, nutrient supplement that you see out there. So I think what I hear you saying is uh, when I'm in the bodega and they've got those little packs of pills with like a tiger on the front of it, uh, that that's probably not a thing I want to put in my body. Yeah, uh, probably not. I mean, you'll be risking yourself of uh possible contaminants inside of the bottle. Mm, Yeah, I think one of my favorite things about that uh, statement study from, what was the name of that office? The the government accountability office was that in the performance enhancing, (laughs) the sexual performance enhancing supplements, they actually just found Viagra, right? Like crush up, rebuild Viagra. Um, and, And just to drive that home, that without that third party verification, we have no idea what's in that bottle or powder or jar. You have um, no idea. And then, then to be transparent, um, a lot of manufacturers, they try to cut corners is because there's a cost associated to having that seal inside of the bottle on the top of the bottle. And so oftentimes these these manufacturers, they have to pay a fee to these independent agencies in order to have that seal granted to make sure that they're uh, meeting quality quality assurance. Yeah. And I think there's a double cost there too, right? Like the effort involved to get a quality ingredient that isn't expired and you're going to be investing in that. And so the, the non-ethical manufacturer might be getting an expired ingredient. Um, sounds like off cast, like medical waste um, or other sources that make it look good or might make cause you to feel differently, but aren't actually the thing that they're claiming. Right. So that's that inflated profit margin thing that I was talking about in the intro. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's just worth pointing out to people that those who are not willing to invest to do it right, probably are nefarious and profit driven to begin with. Right. So there's so many layers to what we want to be mindful of ourselves and with our clients. Um, but I do want to pivot back for a second when we're talking about effective supplementation, right. We're talking about, um, whether we're talking about these populations who have medical need, we're talking about elite athletes, you know, most people who listen to the show are normal people who want to take good care of themselves. And, you know, we hear a lot of conventional wisdom outside of the things that we might see on a blood panel, like vitamin D, um, like iron. So things like omega, you know, omega compounds or protein powders or green powders, you know, the average person walking around how do we know what we need to supplement? So when it comes to uh, to that specific, that specific population, I would say a lot of it's uh, symptom based. And I'll use um, I'll use like melatonin as an example. 
you know, someone who has insomnia won't show up on a, a lab or blood panel, right? It's, it's subjective. It's how you feel. And so, you know, that would be a good example. And then also someone who um, is going to the gym frequently and your body's constantly having protein turnover and protein degradation, and you may have a goal of wanting to increase muscle mass. This is when, you know, protein supplementation, I'd say, would be would be essential. Also, um, you mentioned omega-3 fatty acids. That's a great example is because omega-3s are essential. And then typically you want anywhere between one to two grams of EPA or DHA a day, which is considered healthy. Now, it's hard to get that amount on a daily basis, right? You would have to consume a lot of fish. And the average person is not eating. And mercury poisoning is not fun. I've had a few clients have to go through chelation. You don't want to have to do it. Right, right. And so, um, you know, these are great cases where I think uh, supplementation would be an appropriate thing to do. Yeah. So I think I hear you saying that for people who are highly active, protein supplementation might be helpful. Um, And I, I think I hear you implying that for all of us, an omega complex is a good idea. Um, and, and you threw out some letters there. So we're going to circle back. Um, <laughs> can you break down for us why we want to be supplementing? So let's try that sentence again. Why we want to be supplementing omega threes uh, and the compounds that you mentioned, you know, like what should we be looking for? Because one of the main things we want to give our listeners is like tangible applied takeaways for their lives. So whenever I hear the word essential, that pretty much means the body does not naturally synthesize it, right? Mm. So we have to get this from our diet or from foods. And so omega-3s is a great example of, you know, a nutrient that is considered essential. And as I alluded to a little bit earlier, um, the sources that have the highest amount of omega-3s is fish. And so since we're, we're not getting, to be realistic and practical, right? Since the average person isn't consuming uh, fish on a daily basis, and to be honest, the recommended amounts, um, you'd have to eat a lot of fish in a day. Anything that's considered essential, I would say I would prioritize as something that um, would be a good idea to supplement. Also, you know, to take things a step further, when we talk about protein, right, protein is comprised of a suite of amino acids, right? And so we have our non-essential amino acids, which is what our body naturally produces and synthesizes, right? For maintenance and other biological functions. And then we have our essential amino acids. So it goes back to what I talked about a little bit earlier is anytime I hear the word essential nutrients, it means that we have to get it from our food. And it would be hard for me to imagine that the average person is getting the adequate amounts of essential amino acids on a daily basis. And so this would be a good example, too, of, you know, a reasonable application to actually uh, use for supplementation. Yeah. So I think what I'm hearing there is yes <laughs> to most of us are probably not getting uh, the omega-3 that we need. And I, and I recall somewhere in my own education that it's also a balance, right, of omega-3, omega-6, and that the most of the time in the modern diet, we're skewed omega-6 heavy, and that's pro-inflammatory. And so there's all these other benefits um, to supplementing omega-3s. 
I hear protein supplementation. You know, is you threw out this word essential a couple of times, um, but I think one of the tricks that I encounter is the the, the key phrase here, and this is going to come up in our rapid fire questions again. This idea of like a balanced diet, and there's a big a lot of arguing right now in the fitness and wellness and nutritional spaces about who's got the best balanced diet and what does that even mean. And so, in the modern diet, are there other things? that it's very likely the average person is missing so that we can cut through some of the static and the noise that's coming out of the marketing side of supplementation. Yeah. And so, um, I think, uh, I think vitamin D, um, is mm. another supplementation I'd say, and specifically for people that have darker pigmentation, right. Is because, um, the recommended amount of sun exposure, um, that they say you need on a daily basis is anywhere between 20 to 30 minutes a day. Um, again, to be reasonable and practical, that seems like a hard goal to reach um, on a daily basis. So vitamin D, I'd say, is another good key nutrient um, to make sure that you could you possibly consume on a daily basis uh, after you kind of get your blood work and lab tests done. Um, also, you know, and this could be anecdotal, um, I don't think it's it's a bad idea to rule out, you know, taking a multivitamin on a daily basis. You know, unfortunately, you know, the soil is not as rich in nutrients as it used to be is because, you know, it's sprayed with a bunch of different fertilizers. And so taking a multivitamin, I don't think would be a bad idea. It's very reasonable um, thing to do just so that you can maintain that balanced diet. Um, cause look, some people eat three times a day. Some people eat two times a day. And then, you know, there's also, you know, people doing a lot of intermittent fasting for some of its health and purported benefits out there. Um, so that would be my, my suggestion. So we're going to add to the list, a multivitamin, um, and making sure that includes vitamin D and of course not buying into, the mega dosing um, that we certainly hear sometimes from the biohacking space where the recommended daily allowance is, you know, a thousand times what we'd actually want. Right. You're listening to the Better Than Fine podcast. I'm your host, Arlene Marshall. My guest is wellness pharmacist, Brandon Welch. And we're here to talk about how do we make supplementation effective? How do we cut through the marketing static and really make good choices? Um, and, you know, you mentioned... The, the vitamin D supplementation, and of course, being from upstate New York, living in New York City for 12 years, it snows here a lot of the year. And we always heard supplement vitamin D during the winter because we were going to have low sunlight. But I can't help but think this summer where I'm in a place that we've had wildfire, wildfire smoke every few weeks. Um, my producer, we were talking before we started rolling. Um, it's 117 where he is today because we're having the heat bubble. And so even now in summer, we're having these instances with climate instability where people are not able to get out like we optimally would. And so when you'd said like, oh, people can't get outside for 20 and 30 minutes a day and my heart broke a little, I was like, <laughs> but also I won't be able to do that today because the air quality is so poor. So I think that is becoming part of our reality where our environments are shifting in ways that, yeah, it probably means our supplementation and lifestyle choices need to shift to match. It's just a little heartbreaking. So sorry to bring the mood down for a second. Um, so we we're trying something a little new this episode. I put out a call on threads 
requesting regular listeners to share their questions. And so Brandon, if you're up for it, I've got some rapid fire questions from our audience. Uh, we'll just get through as many as we can. What do you think? Let's do it. Okay. The first one is actually one that I would love to hear your answer on because I'm someone with a collagen fiber disorder. Um, <laughs> does collagen supplementation actually do anything? Break the debate for me. Go. Yes. Um, so interesting thing enough is that there's been this emergence and soar of the demand of collagen, right? And I'm going to start with the physiology. So yeah. collagen is the most abundant and important protein in the human body. So it's important for the structure of connective tissue. I always consider it like the glue that, that helps keep the body all together. And yep. so when we talk about connective tissue, I'm talking about skin, nails, tendons, ligaments, cartilage, the laundry list can go on. And um, recently, I was actually just reading a meta-analysis uh, published in PubMed. And meta-analysis, just for you just for you listeners, Tell them. is the, the best study because it pulls a, uh, a variety of different studies to kind of help support any of its evidence. And so um, I was reading a meta-analysis uh, published in PubMed. Um, I think it was from 2021, if memory serves. And some of its primary outcomes included uh, skin hydration, skin elasticity. Um, and it did show that there was a clinical significance when it came to those primary outcomes of, of improving skin hydration, improving the density of the skin, locking in the moisture, reducing some of the wrinkles. Because people also got to realize, like, as we age, unfortunately, things break down, right? So when we get past the age of about 30, we start to see a small dip in collagen production. And as we age even more, that small dip starts to get into larger dips. And so that's where collagen um, can potentially come into use. I mean, there's, there's, there's science and data to help back it up. And I'll even take things a little, uh, I'll even take things a step further. There's actually another study, and this is mainly for my athletes and um, my weekend warriors and my fitness enthusiasts. And so in case you guys didn't know, 70% of collagen is actually in our ankle joints. And so there was also a, um, a study published from the Journal of Sports Science and Medicine from a group of researchers out in Germany where they took about 100 athletes who had uh, chronic ankle instability, right? And they, they dosed them up with uh, hydrolyzed collagen anywhere between 5 to 15 grams for about three to six months. And it showed that mechanical stability improved. So pretty much ankle stiffness got better. And this actually helped improve recovery time within three to six months. And I thought that was a very impressive study because who would have known that collagen can also be used for muscle recovery. And so for my athletes and my fitness enthusiasts out there, if you are looking for a potential muscle recovery hack, collagen could potentially be the answer for you. I'm going to give the same shout out to the number of listeners I know who have Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, because that's what I have. And I remember a study coming out, I think it was in the fall of 2019, claiming that collagen supplementation was not effective. And I stopped supplementing at that time. And 
my mind is now thoroughly blown and repeated and I will be running off and re-upping my collagen supplementation um, because as somebody with a musculoskeletal collagen disorder, yes, I know it does affect joint stability. Um, and so that's huge. And, I'm, and I think that question may have come from somebody with EDS. So uh, thank you for the deep science dive because uh, we love that here. We're and all about it. Also, Darlene, to be... Yeah, yeah. To be a bit pedantic when it comes to to collagen, I know we talked about, you know, making sure we select effective supplementation. Um, we want to make sure if we are choosing a collagen supplement, we want to make sure it's hydrolyzed collagen. So collagen Ooh. is considered like a large molecule. So the body has a hard time absorbing it. And so with hydrolyzed collagen, it breaks it down into these small peptide molecules, which makes it easy for the body to digest. And then also, when you are looking at collagen supplementation, I always like to say, um, try to look to see if there is an amino acid profile. Is because the three key amino acids that help make up collagen primarily is glycine, proline, and hydroxyproline. And so making sure that there are you know, decent levels of those three amino acids is going to be key to make sure whatever collagen supplement you're taking is actually effective. Right, and I gotta say, uh, I love all my guests, of course, uh, but I, it's rare that I actually stop and take notes. And <laughs> I've just started scribbling very quickly and very quietly uh, because yeah, I'm gonna be switching up my own supplementation from this episode. <laughs> okay, ready for the next one? Yeah. All right, um, are supplements that are marketed to different age groups, different life stages, men, women, right? There's all this different push trying to find niche branding. Are those legit? Because I know we've we've thrown out some broad swaths of what people should be looking for. Do you buy into like your golden age supplement and your women's compounds or whatever? Um, I think that it could be a bit skeptical. Um, I will say this though, like I know that there are supplements that are marketed towards men and then some supplements that are marketed towards women. Now for women, because they go through, um, you know, their menstrual cycle and they could potentially have a loss of blood, right? I, if you see a supplement that has iron in it, um, you know, with whatever they're kind of uh, marketing to for women versus men, that may be a reasonable option. I would assume that the manufacturer may be looking at, okay, what are the common nutrient deficiencies that this particular age group may have or this particular sex or gender may have? And so I wanted to throw that example out there is because, um, you know, it all comes down to reading the back of the bottle to see mm -hmm. how does, you know, the men's 50 plus vitamin separate itself from your your normal daily one a day adults vitamins that isn't labeled as 50 and up or you know your one a day vitamin that's just for your general population versus one a day women's only and so like what's the difference essentially yeah what's the difference um you know it all comes down to making sure you read the back of the label to see kind of if there are any differentiating factors like I know like there's, there's like little critters or, um, for kids, yeah. uh, smarty pants, you know, <laughs> people aren't doing the Flintstones chewables anymore. Right. Jam. <laughs> um, but I think what I hear you saying is like, part of the key message of this episode is get good information, verify where you're going, that it's legit. 
and then actually look at what you're doing and take some ownership, right? Like that's, that's what you're saying. Absolutely. Yeah. Which if you're listening to better than fine, you probably already taken ownership. Um, I'm your host, Arlie Marshall. Our guest is Brendan Welch. We are talking about effective supplementation and we're almost through these rapid fires. We're almost there. Um, does vitamin C do anything for cold? So there's very limited evidence. Um, it's funny is because a pharmacist and I'm sure a lot of health care practitioners had to put on their research hat during COVID is because, mm -hmm. I mean, vitamin, vitamin C was like finding a needle in a haystack, right? <laughs> because everybody's everybody, zinc. Yeah. Zinc too. Um, you know, I guess the way that it was marketed and there was just a huge demand for it. At least the research that I've come across, um, the only thing that I've been able to see is that um, it helps potentially reduce the duration of the cold. Um, other than that, I feel like vitamin C can be very anecdotal. You know, it works for some people and in others, it does uh, absolutely nothing for. You know, um, and even talking about like vitamin C reducing the duration of the cold, I wonder how much is that correlation versus causal, right? Because if I'm the type of person that's going to go supplement vitamin C, I'm also probably the type of person that's like going to go to bed early. Um, and here's some cool positive psychology research for you, Brendan. Um, there is a cold study in positive psychology where they took people into a hotel to isolate them. Some of them, they like, so they measured everyone's subjective well-being, and then they gave everyone a nose swab with a cold culture. Uh, and essentially expose them to a rhinovirus or a cold virus, excuse me. Um, the people with really high subjective well-being, the people who are happier, didn't get sick. So there you go. Interesting. High wow. well-being, high life satisfaction helps with a robust immune system. Yeah. <laughs> um, what do you suggest for using melatonin? Because I'll be curious to hear if it aligns with my own suggestions for melatonin. <laughs> I might chime in when you're done. So, so melatonin, um, you know, there's good research out there that helps support um, sleep quality. And so, um, you know, melatonin is what's called a um, neurohormone, meaning that um, it's produced from our pineal gland. Um, and then also it's an endogenous hormone, right? So our body naturally produces it. So it secretes it during some of our late night hours, right? And so... Um, you know, there is evidence that supports that it does help uh, for sleep quality and then, you know, helping people go to sleep. I always uh, counsel on this is because because the because melatonin works in alignment with their circadian rhythm, which is our biologic or which is our internal biological clock. Um, some sleep hygiene tips is that melatonin is going to be ineffective if you try to take it with the lights on. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> Because snaps, snaps. yeah, because you know what, you're still the body's the body's still going to decrease the secretion of it is because you know these photoreceptors inside of your eyes are going to think that it's still daylight, yeah, right? You're stimming and, up your nervous system, you're not going to exactly. fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> and so you know, I always tell people, and these are the questions I ask. You know, are you making sure that you have blackout shades? Are you making sure that, you know, you're in a relaxed and calm environment? You're about to wind down and go to sleep. The TV's off. The phone <laughs> is away. The phone's away. No checking social media. <laughs> and so that's the best way to get the uh, optimal effectiveness of melatonin. Me particularly, I take a sustained release melatonin um, so that can last a little bit longer in the body. And... Uh, it, this could be healthy user bias, but it works well for me. 
<laughs> there you go. Hey, I like to tell my clients, placebo effect is still in effect. What matters is if it works for you. Yeah. Um, exactly what you just said. And I'm just going to chime and, and, and repeat that what I advise my clients is if you're going to take melatonin, take it 30 minutes before you want to be knocked out. And when you take it, you go and act like you're already like asleep. Because if you sit there and watch a movie, you're just going to stay awake because you're upregulating your nervous system. Yep. And I have clients use it when they need to switch time zones or their shift workers. Right. So you reprime your circadian cycle to the new cycle. Um, so like the other day I had to fly for work and I had to be up at 3 a.m. So I knocked myself out at 630 the night before so that I wasn't going and showing up on set as a zombie. <laughs> All right. So I think we've already answered both of these, but I don't know if there's anything you want to add here. So the questions were both frames. Like when you have a balanced diet, is protein supplementation necessary for muscle building? You I think we've really nailed that one is like big old yes supplement a reasonable amount of protein. Um, I guess the trick there is what's a reasonable amount? Because of course I see all over the place in the fitness industry. Um, do you have a recommendation of what the volume of that protein supplementation should look like? Oh man, the, the, the range. Oh man, rabbit hole. We could have a whole episode on this if you want oh, to. We can God. come back. We, we can come could. back. <laughs> no, the, 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 the range is so wide. Yeah. I mean, you see from like 1.2 grams per kg to 2.2 grams per per kg. Um, <laughs> kg. <laughs> yeah, kilogram. Oh, um, but me, my my general recommendation to make math simple for uh for people is 0 0.7 0 0.75 grams times your your body weight. Nice and simple. We all need yeah. a calendar for calculator for it. Right, right. There you go. All yeah. right, I'll dig that. Um, and then this last question, I know I threw at you last second is a bit technical, but the person posting, it was very adamant. They always wanted to know this. And I know they're a core listener, so I don't want to let them down is B12 supplementation. And I'm going to add to this. I'd like you to frame why someone would want to supplement B12 is B12 supplementation more effective orally or injected. Um, so what's it for? And then I know you were going to go down a chemistry rabbit hole for us. So take us home. What do you got? <laughs> Yeah, so when we think about vitamin B12, which is attached to a mineral called cobalt, if you look up the chemical structure, it's this large molecule, right? It's used for um, energy production of cells. It's used for blood circulation um, and for a bunch of neurological uh, benefits, right? And so sometimes because of the molecule being so large, almost thinking about collagen, um, because it's poorly digested by some people mm. some people's body can't digest it they have to go to you know the injectable form which is kind of uh rapidly you know absorbed into the body it goes past first pass metabolism it doesn't have to go through all that digestive process and so typically what i see when doctors they typically always recommend sublingual b12 first and after you know they look at a patient's labs and they see that when they already recommended you know sublingual b12 and they still see that someone's b12 levels are sub therapeutic or you know not within normal range then that's when i see some of them go to um a injectable b12 now i know that there's also been a lot of talk around cyanocobalamin versus methylcobalamin right you're gonna break so, that down for us <laughs> So cyanocobalamin is looked at as the inactive form um, and then methylcobalamin, which is pretty much a methyl group, 
on the vitamin B12 is more of the active form. And so some of those people who may have poor digestion or poor conversion of, um, you know, converting an inactive form to an active form, you know, methylcobalamin may be a better solution than cyanocobalamin. Um, but generally speaking, you know, the difference between, you know, oral versus injectable, a lot of it has to do with the digestibility because the molecule is so large. I'm just trying to think about saying cyanocobalamin, methylcobalamin, like it was a tongue twister back when I was in acting school. Um, <laughs> that's, that's intense. Um, but I think what I hear there is it would show up in your blood work. If you need to supplement B12, um, you can work with your physician and that uh, if the digestible forms aren't effective for you, that there's other options out there, but it's because of the size of the molecule. And of course, every body is different and your body might need something special, but you're going to be able to figure that out with your physician through your blood work. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. You have been such a good sport. You've shared with us so much good information. Um, Brandon, thank you so much for being on the show. Where could we find you out in the wild? Yeah. And, and so, uh, you know, pharmacyathlete.com or, um, you know, you can find me on my, my Instagram, my Instagram handle is pharmacy underscore athlete. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, uh, me and a few of my, my advisory board team. Uh, we have a sports pharmacy news journal that comes out, um, bi-monthly where we talk about evidence-based supplements, um, sportsrxnews.com. Um, so you have a few different places to find me. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for sharing uh, your wisdom with us. I really appreciate you. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Amazing. Um, well, if you, our dear listener, would like to effectively help people to make more sustainable change, I strongly encourage you to check out NASM's Certified Wellness Coaching course, which, of course, our guest today is a CWC, like me. Uh, Brandon, of course, got a lot of this pharmaceutical knowledge from his education, but the execution uh, hopefully benefited uh, from our coursework. So even if you're already, let's say, a positive psychology practitioner or a uh, personal trainer, group fitness instructor, you know, we've got this incredible amount of education and application that you can dive into. Uh, if you want information, you're going to go to nasm.org, click wellness at the top. And if you decide that you want to invest in this course, you can get an additional $600 off with the code MarshallCWC. M-A-R-S-H-A-L-L-C-W-C. When you check out, whether you're on the phone or online, additional $600 off with the code. Uh, the other thing that you might be interested in that you want to check out is the More Better Substack. So if you're really enjoying the Better Than Fine podcast, but you'd like some written application, some workbooks, some clear applied practice, go and check out betterthanfine.substack.com and you can get all of that information. Uh, and of course, I would love to hear your thoughts, your feedback. You can email me. It's info at darlene.coach. I'm on Instagram at darlene.coach. And you might have picked up that in this episode, our listeners were able to give us some direct questions for the guest. I'm going to be doing that going forward. So you're going to want to follow me on threads, which is also, wait for it, darlene.coach. If you're a fan of the show, I hope that you've subscribed. Thank you to everyone who's been writing us reviews. Please go and rate the show. That's how the algorithm helps us find new listeners. Share the show, tag me, thank you, and be well. Thank you.